0: Welcome to the Critical Futures Podcast. It's critical because the time is now to conjure the world and communities we want to live and thrive in. But it's also futurity or the intentional imagining and materializing of liberated futures where freedom from oppression, trauma, violence, and discrimination are realized. In this series, we chat with members of the Anti-Racism Consortium in partnership with the Institute for Healing, Justice and Equity. These are conversations between organizations and their community partners to highlight how to deeply work with community in a way that shares power and moves us all towards liberation.
1: So welcome to today's episode. I'm Dr. Kira Banks. And today we will have an interesting conversation with a few folks that are going to share with us their expertise about their partnership and help us think more deeply about anti-racism in the healthcare setting. So we have today, we have with us Dr. Pat Matthews Juarez, who is at Meharry Medical College, she's a professor and has been in medical education for over 40 years. Also with us is Dr. Paul Juarez, who's a professor also at Meharry Medical College, who conducts research on how the environment affects health. And they have brought with them uh, their community partner, who I learned they've worked together for over 17 years. And so we have Dr. Reverend Neely, who serves as the Director of Community education, uh, community Engagement and Education for HealthWorks and the Tennessee Community Engaged Alliance Against COVID-19. So welcome everyone. Thank you, Kira. So happy that you're with us and that you're speaking with us. You know, might know that the name of our podcast is Critical Futures, and we're thinking about like, what does it look like? What do we need? What's critical in our future? If we are thinking about anti-racism seriously, not just as a catchphrase, right? What do we need in terms of anti-racist health policy or understanding structural racism in the healthcare system? What's critical for our understanding if we want that in our future? Well, I think that one of the exciting things is to work
2: with partners around trust. I think what's critical in our future is the idea of trust Having a trusted, uh, messenger and bringing others in that are diverse that can be allies. Uh, they may not understand where, where the major diverse group is coming from, but would be able to associate, uh, with some of the common elements of what, uh, anti-racism looks like and, and to try to paint a picture about what it should look like in the future, not just for the diverse group of the population, but for the world. So uh, I'll kick that over, uh, to, uh, Paul or Neely to sort of build that out. But that's the way I see it and the excitement of being able to talk about it in a group like this.
0: I see it as a very strong, uh, foundational, uh, component. The trust issue is, 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 uh, is pivotal. It's, it's what's on the table. And, I, and, and so when I was thinking about this, I was thinking about we have come to a place where the rhetoric is high, where we have people talking about it. We have people acknowledging that it exists. And this is an opportunity we have is to put these things in motion now. So I think there is critical that we move from rhetoric to action. You know, it's great to, to adopt. It's great to affirm. It's great to hold a sign that says that, that identifies whose side you are but there's work to be done. We have to move the peg. And the only way we can move the peg is to address some of these in, in late and in, in, in woven in racist policies and structural racism that exists. It is not going to go away. I don't like almond flavor. You give me a cake that you put a touch of almond flavor in it and I can tell that almond flavor is there because I don't like it. And that's the way Structural racism is in the cake. And you can't take it out of the cake by just saying, Oh, yeah, well, I I didn't, I didn't mean to put that in there. I was thinking I was getting vanilla. That that won't, that won't fix the problem. We've got to do something. We've got to, if destroy the cake to rebuild the cake, we make another cake, whatever we have to do, we have to, we are great. It's great that we are acknowledging it. Now let's put it in action. Let's put some of this these uh, concepts in action so that we can build on the trust that Dr. Pat is talking about because the world is looking. You say it's there. We've been knowing it's there all the time. Now you knowledge says there, what's going to do about it? Are you going to really do anything that's going to help change the process so that all people are uh, created more equitably? I don't know who will ever be completely equitable in any setting, but maybe at least we can deal with some of the issues. That's causing folks to die just because they don't have the equitable kind of re- uh, ability to get the services they need or be prepared to receive the services they need.
3: And, and I think that COVID has really taught us how to better work with in partnerships and collaborate in collaboration uh, between academic and community partners and and we've had to really readjust uh how we approach our community partners uh i mean we've we've worked with community partners with neely and others for for many years uh but the process i think has become clear uh since COVID, in that we have to have our community partners and multiple partners it's not just picking you know cherry picking it's it's having an open process and and inviting everyone who's affected by COVID to the table to participate in discussions on how we can reach the populations that they're there to serve. Uh, And so part of that, right from the beginning, we learned we could not just have a clinic and invite people to come and and translate language, you know, have people to interpret languages and things like that. That we actually had to Go out into the community, uh, and what we've done is we have uh, we we are sort of the broker between community partners and the community COVID providers. So we bring them together. Uh, the community. <laughs> it's funny. The we went through a, a whole stage where in the beginning we had these large drive-through COVID shots and, and stuff, uh, and then uh, you know. And then we found that after a while, nobody was coming. So we had these big venues and nobody was coming. We still had tremendous amounts of disparities in terms of who was dying from COVID, who was getting vaccinated and all that. And so we have really had to readjust. And what, we, what we've what we evolved to is we have weekly meetings where we invite both our community partners, our vaccine providers together. We, we talk about what are those events that our community providers are hosting, and seeing if we can get the vaccine providers at those events. So it's not on our terms, it's on their terms. And then we work to, uh, we translate, we uh, uh, identify the media, social media outlets, and we uh, promote those events through their networks. So it's been a real shift moving away from our side of how we do things to really being sensitive to You know our community partners and 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 that's again helps address some of those structural barriers that i think we that neely was talking about
1: i really appreciate you for making that plain because i was going to ask for an example of what that looks like and what you just shared is a perfect example of of how it looks like institutions that often have the power the resources the money to to disseminate the vaccines or whatever the resource is, right? Not saying, hey, come to us or hey, let's pat ourselves on the back because we made it available to the community, but actually going to the community. And you all have touched on this, right? To be able to one, call up a community partner for them to answer the call, for them to invite you to the table and then invite you to the event, that takes trust. It does. It does. And so I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about how that trust gets built, because I think people say, yeah, theoretically, OK, we get that. Go to the community. But I, I know that having worked with the community, there are times where doors are closed because trust has been broken mm-hmm. in the past. And so maybe that's a two part question. What does it look like to to build trust or maybe even to rebuild trust? With a community organization that that hasn't had a great interaction with these bigger institutions in the past, a respect and value are key components
0: of being able to restore and establish community partners community relationships with people in the community. I just opened an email this morning from one of our community partners. She that could not have been a better design if she had been a regular staffer for a and as said under your, you, these two professors' tutelage for the last 10 years. I mean, she's, she's talking, she's talking about what we've done over the year. She's doing a culminating end of the year event. And you, and, and I like what, uh, Dr. Pat and Dr. Paul said, it's on her terms. She didn't ask us permission. But you know, well, do you all think she's, she's made, her, now she's invited us to the table. We don't have to go. But she's gonna do, and she started this in her living room with her daughter in 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 March of twenty of two thousand twenty, and she is doing that. And she's not the only one. We've got pastors who they they build their rally for their their event, and they say, "Now you come." They don't come and ask us, "Can we do it?" And uh, what you gonna provide for us? They're doing it. They are doing it, and then we get to come.
2: That's right. I think the openness, the flexibility, uh, the uh, respect that community groups and and academic partners know each other well enough to say, this is your territory. Uh, thank you for inviting me and vice versa. I think that the notion that one of the things that we've done is to provide community groups with the basic understanding of what research is so that Individuals who work with us get to know what, uh, what, IRB is. Uh, so they don't have to think about, are they doing something to me? Uh, you know, are they getting, uh, me to do something without my consent? Because they now know what that is all about. And so that the reducing of the fear, uh, the, the reduction of the, uh, suspicion, all gets to be sort of pulled together because they know exactly what it is that, that we are doing. So the issue of transforming is also trans, uh, transparency, being transparent in what you do. And I like the idea of, you know, the flavor, uh, whether it's COVID-19, whether it is, uh, access to care, whether it is, uh, referral to Specialists, uh, because you are, uh, poor or not poor, that, that becomes a part of the mix, uh, that you don't, uh, decide that, uh, you're not going to refer someone because they're not in the flavor. They're not the flavor of the month. And so I think that the, these really, uh, good examples where people can identify with lets us began to focus about on racism uh, or things that we can do that prevent individuals from getting uh, favor over someone else when they need much more maybe than someone else. But everyone should get what they need uh, in the quantity that they need it when at the time and when they need it. So I'm a Braverman fan, <laughs> Paula a Braverman fan who says, you know, uh, you should get Exactly what you need when you need it in order to maintain a quality and healthy life. So thank you for this opportunity, Kara, because it, uh, it helps us as partners, uh, to always build that trust and take care of that trust. Trust has to be tended like a garden. Uh, you can't violate it. Uh, you can't decide that you're going to go on vacation and not have someone else take care of it. Water that plant. Do those things that keep, keeps it alive.
1: Yeah. And you just mentioned something that I think is worth noting. I, I mean, some ways we take for granted when people might listen to a podcast like this, that they understand the concepts and terms that we're talking about. But I like how you just broke down what equity is, that people get what they need in the quantity that they need it. And that people often think about equity as, as everyone getting the same right? But in medical care, I'm, I'm sure there, I know that there are numerous examples of how, yeah, equity actually isn't everyone getting the same. Equity is people getting what they need when they need it. And that is important for the listeners to hear, um, that it's not just, uh, it, that's why you hear people using the term equity rather than equality.
3: You know, and some of the, again, the changes that I think that, that COVID has brought to us are things like you know, we've been much more sensitive to, uh, again, the relation, the establishing relationships with our community partners isn't just working together, it's getting resources to them. So contracting with them to, you know, to support our activities, to give them the ability and the resources that they need to do the, re, uh, to do the outreach and the education uh, that is part of this. Again, a second thing we've done is we have uh, hired and this is was new to us community health hired and trained community health workers, and we recruited them from across the state through our community partners to uh, again be those liaisons between the organizations and communities in different events uh you know so they again we uh the other thing again i I recall we have a um immigrant and refugee partner that serves primarily. Uh, Muslim populations and immigrants. And she said, you know, we have uh, a number, and it was during a time when there's doing a lot of resettlement here in Nashville, and a lot of, they had a a cohort of of pregnant women uh, that, uh, again, you know, our interest was getting them vaccinated, but they didn't have any primary care. So we had to, you know, we again brought them in with our department of OB and you know, got them linked to medical care. Uh and in the process, and we also, you know, work with Second Harvest and other wraparound services because people don't come to us just for COVID. They come with, you know, a, a list of different needs, maybe health, maybe social, maybe mental health, you know, uh maybe just basic food, shelter sorts of needs. And we have to help them address those in addition to You know what our agenda is so it's recognizing that our agenda doesn't trump everything that you know that we really have to help them meet where you know be where they're at so that they can take advantage of the services that we offer
1: yeah that's a very good point and that to me that's what's exciting when we activate the relationships with community partners is how they sometimes snowball right so i might have an interest in you getting your COVID vaccine, but like you just said, you need primary care, you need OB, you need, you need other supports like wraparound services, you're just being resettled, right? So how the, if you have built the trust with a community partner, how that can extend, and then you can end up helping the population that you, that you were targeting for one thing in a holistic way. And isn't that more powerful, right? And that's where I think when when academic and actually just any institution seeks to make a true partnership they have to let go of solely their mission and idea and vision about how it's going to go and you all have mentioned i noted respect value humility transparency trust Um, a lot of the ingredients that we need to make sure are present for a for a lasting relationship to to be there, are there any other
3: and a little almond flavoring?
1: No, no <laughs> almond. No almond.
0: <laughs> well, I tell you, you know, I, I'm convinced that we are drawing uh, on, the, uh, on the on the on uh, the deposits we made, Paul, yes. in the youth violence coalition. Yes. I think we're really still drawing on these. Some of those folks that we work with then are now running agencies, so they're now part of another group in the community, and, and they may be still doing youth violence, or they may still be doing HIV, AIDS, but we work in a community, and all of us who are trying to help the, those that are most disproportionately impacted, their needs are great, and you cannot go in and extract one need and say, you need a vaccine. Now I'm not caring about your breakfast. I'm not caring about your lunch. I'm not caring if your children go to school. I'm not. That's somebody else down the street that's gonna do that. So what we got to do is get with the people down the street, and then we come together to that community and put our arms around it. I have a historically, I mean, years past, I've 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 led some building of coalitions, and I have one in in innate policy. Nobody ever told me to do this. This is just something that I. It just, innate it, it was born in me. When I open up a meeting, I first say, thank you. Because if they weren't there, there'd be no coalition. There'd be no, no, no uh, meeting that day. And, and acknowledging that their work has value. You know, uh, even if they're sitting in the office and, and writing a report or, uh, you know, uh, uh, they've been on the front lines, it, I don't, I don't judge what they do. I just tell them thank them for the work that they do, and that sets a tenor in the room. It kind of makes people that old saying about, you know, uh, we you know leave your agenda at the door? No, everybody's got their agenda. Let's just acknowledge that everybody has an agenda. Our agenda is to get shots in our arms, but not just for the shots in the arms. we are still seeking to help improve health. Well, this lady over here who's working with uh pregnant moms, what is she doing? She's seeking to improve health for the pregnant moms, or whoever, whatever group, whether you're working with the youth or whatever they are doing. They all we're all in here trying to make a difference in the lives of people who need help, who need what we talked about having that equity, what they need when they need it, and that's the you know we have. I one one thing, uh, Dr. Suarez is I wished that we had done is that at every one of our community meetings. Got the name of everybody who worked, or everybody who had a presentation, uh, you know, a, a table, just to see how many organizations across the city of Nashville and across the state of Tennessee have we actually been in partnership with. That's right. We've done that metric, uh,
2: with the state of Tennessee. And, uh, we, we have over a thousand organizations that meet on a regular basis, uh, with Elizabeth Hart, and Dr. Kimberly Lamar around this concept of of equity, have being at that table. And I wanted us to go back and think about what it was like uh in the 60s, uh what it was like in the 70s and 80s and 90s. And we were in California uh during the height of the gang wars of bloods and the Crips. and one of the things that uh, there was a social worker named Tessie Cleveland uh, who was very well uh, appointed uh, and had um, a doctorate uh, in social work at a time when I think St. Louis University was one just given it, given a doctorate. But she left that at the door when she met with gang members and they would come in. The community would be on one side. The academics would be on one side. The medical people would be on one side because young kids would die, ten, eleven years old, and she would say, "Let's all put our guns on the table. Let's all show where we're coming from. Let's talk about what is important to this community." And it, it was through that kind of mechanism at the Martin Luther King Hospital and Charles Drew University that. They started to talk about those things. So when we came to Nashville and met Neely, and we we had a CDC grant that should have continued, <laughs> we brought everybody to the table: uh, the police department, the business partners, and the gang members, everyone that had some concern about young people, who young men, black men, who were not getting jobs, and we brought even the young people. To the table with the police. And guess what happened? We saw a reduction in the killing and the fighting that went on in North Nashville and across the city. That's right. Now we see that escalation again Mm -hmm. because there's not that coalition building or that acceptance or that trust that we need. Now, one would say that there is still something that is still there. But we all need to think about how do we get those things back? The multiplication, multiplying the networks that you talk about, Neely, is what we do on a Tuesday morning where we bring people to the table and say, tell us what you need. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And then ask someone else there in the room, can you give this individual what they need to carry out the event? And we have, Everybody at the table, all the religious uh, groups. We have all of the uh, diverse groups in the, in the, and, and two people come to mind? Uh-huh. Michael Green and, and Barbara James. Miss James is disabled. She gets more shots in arms. <laughs> she sits mind. in the middle of the room and she feeds people. Yes. All kinds of people, young people, and they're all there in this church. Uh, in, on, um, on, uh, Nolansville Highway and wherever they are. But I want to just make one last point. Academic partners or people who feel that they are making a change through their research need to always connect to the community. They need to show up. They need to be present. They need to know the community. And we need to invite the community over to our sessions too that's right so that that's what I think is different about our relationship Neely mm-hmm. uh, we we've always been integrated uh, we've always been uh, transparent we've always trusted so I just offer that as part of the challenge uh, for a p- part of the positiveness for lower, lowering the barriers to racism and it's you know, we all carry that almond flavor, <laughs> yeah. you know. We don't like it, yeah. but we we think that it may make it. We cover it better. up. We
0: put some more stuff in there. We <laughs>
2: put some more stuff to minimize it. But the real
1: big issue is leave it out.
0: That's right. That's
1: well, right. it's interesting. One of the things that you have highlighted in this last bit of our conversation is the ongoing power of relationship that it's that this is years in the making that you you Neely, you talked about pulling back on work that you and paul did long time ago right and so right it's planting seeds and so there's a way in which i think sometimes people think about community partnership and they want to like microwave it Mm
3: -hmm. and it really does it,
1: it doesn't work that way And so I'm wondering if you had, if you had, were in that place to give advice to an organization or a person who's wanting to start that coalition, who's wanting to start that work. I was, yeah, I was thinking about this as I was listening to uh, to, uh,
0: uh, Paul and Pat talk about this and, and looking at that last initiative that came up around you filing. We talk about people having their agenda. We had young folks who had, political aspirations that was trying to lead that initiative through the through the mayor's office. I actually called the mayor's office and said, listen, you all need to look at Meharry and build on what was done there. I, I didn't need to do it. I wasn't trying to get the job. I just wanted them to understand. They had a lot of work that had been done around youth violence that was substantiated. It had a foundation. It could be re, It could be reignited. They weren't interested in that because they was trying to build the name of being a youth uh inventor or preventer of, of whatever was going on. Well, you know, to start, we need someone whose heart is in it. You know, you, everybody's heart is not going to be in it. So don't, you know, you can't get everybody in the coalition that's just, you know, uh, a passionate soldier for this cause. But you need someone whose heart is in the community. And it wouldn't matter, you see, it doesn't matter if I'm doing HIV AIDS, it doesn't matter if I'm doing domestic violence, if it doesn't matter if I'm doing research. My heart is with the people. And I I mean, and this is something over years. So when I put myself out there, when we had those uh, gang members to come into that meeting, that two or three day meeting we had up there at Magre- Magruder, when those boys came in that room, ladies, that, they looked me with suspect when they walked out of that room on that last day, they was calling me granny. It, 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 they developed
3: it. And, and Neely, because I, I, I remember that. me I mean, that was years ago. That that years just ago. stands out in my mind because we had brought together community partners. We invited some of the gang members and we invited the police into the same room. Mm-hmm. And right off the bat, there was a ten level of tension. And the gang members, one of them sat up and said, look, we can't really you know, we can't be honest here because we have the police here and some of us are on probation and, you know, where that can go. So we got the police officers that were in the room basically to agree to what's, you know, what occurs in at Magruder stays at Magruder. (laughs) That's exactly right. And it opened up the discussion. It allowed the young men to be honest and talk about what the issues that they, you know, were struggling with, and mm-hmm. and the relationships with the police that again had to be acknowledged. I mean, this was way before Black Lives Matter. You know, the the tensions with the police were there, and and I think it it had an impact on those police officers that were there in terms of you know that that level. There's not that level of trust, uh and that that's extremely important. And I think that that is, you know, we've done over the years, a lot of work through coalitions. And coalitions don't just happen, you know, again, the elements of trust and things, you know, some of the things that I've always said is, you know, we a coalition has to be open membership. Anybody who wants to be there is invited to come and participate. We want people who are interested in doing the work that we're there to achieve, mm-hmm. uh, so we don't cherry pick. You know, we want this person or that person, or you know, we you know we we understand that we may need somebody. We try to get somebody from the mayor's office or somebody from the school district or juvenile courts or whatever you know in the room uh, to you know, and because it really brings a level of expertise and it provides them with an a better understanding of other perspectives. And and so that's where you begin to really develop the trust. But coalitions don't keep going just on their own. They have to be nourished. They have to be, you know, people's roles and, you know, activities have to be highlighted and acknowledged. You know, it really, it takes work. Uh, and, you know, and, and so uh, again, and I have to say, you know, and, you know, Neely ran our coalitions and she's just a master of understanding the, you know, how to, um, how to address the, the needs of people in the room. I mean, the coalition really, what I've seen is that it's a time for people that are working in diverse areas to come together to share. It really provides a level of, uh, of, of just, you know, we're in this together you know, that I'm not in this by myself. And and that's really powerful. That really is powerful. It keeps people motivated and, you know, engaged in their work. And uh, Neely, you probably talk more about it better than me. <laughs>
1: well, I think what I'm hearing is, and Reverend Neely, you said this, you want people who aren't just out to get the credit, but they want to get the results. You have a common goal. You also talked about, um paul you talked about the needing a set of guidelines for how you're going to work together right i think these are sometimes people think of them as like soft but they're necessary building blocks and i'm what i'm hearing you all say is that they're they're not only necessary to start to build that foundation but they have to be sustained over time that you can't just assume that it's there just because you had it in the past and so this constant ongoing work and I think that's essential for people to hear because I hear people sometimes assume that it's just, it can, you can do some of that team building and then you do the work and you don't tend to the relationship. And what I'm hearing is that you've continued to tend to the relationship and that's not just transactional, right? It's not.
0: not yeah, we are, we are, you know, getting ready for the holidays and uh, I'm going to go to Miss Barbara James even after the time we were signed off, right? Why? Cause I've got to support her. I've got to, you know, this is her end of the year event. And this is, you know, and I just want to be there to to say bravo for her and to her for all this hard work she's done this year and how she's led us and allowed our team to be able to be successful, mm-hmm. you know, and we have, and, then, and now we brought something to the table too, but let me tell you something. They helped my feet to the fire and they couldn't get to you, Paul. They say, look, we promised these people gift cards to the point. Sometimes I thought I'm going to, have to go in my own pocket and buy some gift cards because, you know, they were, they, they are serious is what I'm saying. You know, they said, don't have us tell these people they're going to have an opportunity. I mean, they was at the point they say, okay, let's just go buy two or three and raffle them off. At least we showed up with some gift cards that somebody could get, you know, and things like that when we were having problems of, of, of the flow. Now we don't have that problem, meaning things are working smoother, But in the community, we have to be able to stand in unison with the community and help that community value themselves. The only coalitions that do have a long life is those that are owned by the community. And that's one of the processes. We don't usually have funding long enough to be able, we can establish the coalition, and get the coalition going, but we don't have it long enough to build ownership because, you know, that takes five, six years more or more of finding those one, two, three agencies that says live or die. This is this is who we are. This is what we're going to do. And this is how we're going to do it. Because then it is theirs. It's not from that project that we started. It's them saying this is what we are
1: going to do. That speaks to one of the questions I was going to ask is what can funders do or how can funders support the work? And what you're saying is don't just support the the beginning of a coalition, support it for longer so that it can really, they can be community ownership and that it's real like transfer of power in a sense.
0: That's right. The seeds need to take root and not just take root and be a young plant. It's got to grow and get some stability of its own. And it doesn't have that when we have these three and four, even sometimes even to the five-year project, because if you got a five-year project, it's going to take you the first two years to get the coalition together. So now you only still got about two or three years to work together and then let people wean in and wean out and decide if this is really fit for them and if this working with what their work is doing. And you'll have those three or four that's going to stay with you from start to the time you say the funding is over and we won't be having any more meetings. But what we need to do is build it. And every funder, if they look at their stats, they'll see. Where they have funded coalitions to be started, but they died. So it's a way to stop that.
2: That's true. I think the issue of investment, uh, and it's just not dollars. Uh, I think Kira, this, what you're doing is a part of that investment and sustainability that it is, uh, sharing information, uh, of, of examples that work and examples that don't work. Uh, that we take lessons learned and we have people like you, uh, uh, that, that we use as interpreters, those that can take the baton and, and move it further along the pathway. Uh, there are wonderful communities that really thrive, but nobody knows about them. That's right. What you do is take this podcast and people have access to it. And they think, ah, they, and that's why I mentioned names, because someone would say, wait, how do I find Neely Williams? How do I find a Barbara James? How do I find, Barbara James woke up in the middle of the night and said, I'm going to start Vaccine for All. That's it. She started it. She started And, and Mike, uh, miss Michael, Mr. Michael Green. Uh, housing, a a public servant, Mm -hmm. uh, gets up and works with her. They, 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 they bring food, they bring clothes, they, they, they bring all those wraparound needs that community needs. And, and we, we need to show up. Those of us with resources need to help build these coalitions, not just funders, but the funders must recognize that if you're going to, Grow a tree that's going to make it to 200 years. It needs nurturing. Right, right. And Kara, you've been a part of these conversations. They may not look like traditional organizations, but back, we got to trust that they've got to be matched with someone that can help them get the money to do the work that sustained them. Mm-hmm. And all the time, these organizations don't look like other organizations, but oh, how powerful they are on the ground. And uh, that's my concluding comment about what we should be doing around coalition building. Yeah. We should invest in them. Yeah, We should give them the money. We should give them the expertise. We should give them the voice. They should be on podcasts like yours. Uh, they should be able to say things that their community will resonate around not necessarily what we think is right
1: or wrong. Wonderful.
3: And I was just going to add the, you know, in terms of coalition, coalition building, uh, I've been part of and helped us really grow three coalitions over the years. One was in Los Angeles uh, and it was around youth violence. And it didn't start with any funding. It started with just a, a few of us that said, this is a, this is something we we have to do something about it and so we just started inviting people to come together we were at and we create i mean we created bylaws coalitions are not uh easy things to establish uh bringing people from different backgrounds different areas of expertise different perspectives different languages people <laughs> talk different languages and you have to you know, develop that common sense of you know what people you know understanding. I mean, I remember in Los Angeles, we when we were establishing a youth violence prevention coalition, we had somebody from the health department, an epidemiologist, and we had the um, what was his title? He was he was a public defender or something. Um, and she got up and introduced. she said, "And we do surveillance." And he just jumped up, he said, you can't do surveillance, we do surveillance, you know, from the police department side. And so there was that immediate recognition that, you know, that, again, a common language has to be established so that when we talk about surveillance, you know, and, and a public health person talks about surveillance is not so, the same as the district attorney talking about surveillance. That's right. You know, and, and so you, you grow, we go through those, and one of the the, the really... I suppose, rewarding things in Los Angeles was the public health department, when the funding ended, the public health department took took it over and has continued to support it. So they have a division of youth violence prevention in the public health department. Wow. Uh, unlike that, when we we did something very similar in Asheville, uh, we had a, a, a center grant from CDC and that's where I met Neely and she sort of ran was our community partner and really helped us pull together that coalition. But interestingly enough, we were not funded to establish a coalition. We were established to do research, but we knew that to do it, we needed to to use a coalition to bring together the partners. Mm -hmm. And again, and and the thing that I learned from that is that people came and when they, and they started coming, I mean, we didn't have to reach out, they started coming uh, because they were interested in the thing I heard over and over again is this is the first time, you know, somebody in the school system worked on somebody in the juvenile courts or somebody from a community organizations. And, you know, so it, there was not this natural, you think about, we're all serving the needs of these, you know, of youth, but we serve them in different, you know, a different niche in, in our space. And so people, you know, in the, weren't even handing them off. Or trying to connect them to other services, and it created a way for people to work together and getting the needs of families, not just the youth, of their families addressed. And that's what brought the partners together. But again, that when the funding ended, with that we unfortunately didn't have anybody to continue it. And it sort of, you know, again, as so I said, it takes a coalition. You have to have the the resources, the commitment to keep it going. Now, we have, a, again, more recently, our Community Engaged Alliance Against COVID, uh, it was really, you know, the, the there was a notion that we needed to work with community partners, but there certainly wasn't any roadmap given to us for that. But we, again, with our experience and expertise, again, I, first person, I reach out to us, Reverend Williams, I said, Neely, can you help?
1: (laughs) Well, and what I like about that last story is just, it's a reminder to folks that there's not just a one-size-fits-all, that sometimes the coalitions begin because there's people who are concerned about an issue from multiple perspectives, and there's no funding. Sometimes there is funding. Sometimes that coalition gets picked up and brought into city services, or sometimes someone else picked it up, but that If we want this vision of as we started our conversation about like what's critical for our future to have trust in our partnerships to get to that point where they're there, that we have an equitable healthcare system where people have access to what they need when they need it, uh, that requires that we move in the spirit that you all have shared throughout our hour together in terms of thinking about like building those coalitions fostering that trust. And it might not always look the same. You you, know, you shared three different coalitions and three different trajectories. And so I just want to thank you all for, for sharing just a piece, like a glimpse of what you've done and how you've worked together uh, with listeners. Because I think sometimes people see the outcome, but they don't know how the sausage is made. They don't know the process. And so I appreciate you taking time to kind of lift the veil a little bit and be honest and share some of the things that went well. Some of the things that, you know, maybe didn't end the way you wanted and fizzled out when funding was gone um, and some of the stories. And I also appreciate you naming the names because I I was taking notes and I'm going to go look up some of the work of the folks. And I, I really just appreciate you sharing your time. So well,
0: thank you. You're more than welcome.
1: Thank you. Karen. Thank you, Kira. Thank you, yes. Thank, thank you. you. All right, y'all.
0: Y'all take care. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to the Critical Futures podcast. If you're feeling inspired and looking for more resources, please check out www.ihje.org podcast for show notes and links to resources and to subscribe. Thanks for tuning in.